podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. But tonight I'm on my knees. I need to hear some sounds that recognise the pain in me. I let the melody shine, let it cleanse my mind. I feel free now. But the airwaves are clean and there's nobody singing to me now. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are now floating in Screamer Selica. My name's Kevin Graham and after... He passed the breathalyzer test. I'm John B. Boise. <laughs> Boise, what's happening? How are we getting on, mate? Uh, not too I, bad. I like, not the, too bad. I like the choice for this week. We're a wee bit rushed, so we're just going to share an album this week, Kevin, aren't we? So that'd be quite Hi. interesting to share views on what is an all time classic. It is an all time classic album, and also hopefully it'll take the, a wee bit of entertainment before obviously we're competing with a Champions League qualifier tonight. Mm-hmm. So the, the pre match will be on straight after us, uh, so we'll be getting shoved out the door uh, oh. extremely quick, like a fat pub landlord shouting last, mm-hmm. on, last orders when mm-hmm. he wants to go home on a Sunday evening. Um, I've, I've got something to ask you, Boise, before we get into this game. Right, man. You're the you're the doyen of fashion in in the Axon team. Is it all right for me to do this podcast in flip flops because it's so hot? You're not wearing socks with them, are you? No, 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 no socks, no socks. No, 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 no. I get it, man. Flip flops are all right. Sliders sort of things, eh? No, no, Javianos, mate. Oh, again, what I mean is, you can't come with them, Kev. That's fine. The album that we're going to be talking about tonight is The Verve Urban Hymns. Uh, 
And that's because we've got a fantastic prize uh, which will be given away at the yep. end of this month to, uh, and all our subscribers are going to go into a draw for it. Yep. And, and it's a plaque to commemorate Urban Hymns selling 2.1 million copies of the third album. So if you subscribe, you will go into you go into this draw to win this. You can't buy this. This is a this is a prize that money can't buy. Unfortunately, me and Boise can't enter it, and we're, and a, bit, we're a bit peeved about that eh? Eh, because I would love this. It's a fantastic prize. So what to do? If you haven't like subscribed, hit the wee button below us and subscribe. Tell your pals to subscribe. I think we're close to 13,000 uh, subscribers. Yeah. I thought we'll hopefully we'll have it tonight. So get subscribing and get put in the draw for a fantastic prize. And there's going to be monthly prize draws for all our subscribers going forward. But the oh, first yeah. one's the first one's the Verve's Urban Hymns. Now, the DeLoreans went back. And Urban Hymns was released in September 1997. Yeah. And because it's a European night, um, we thought we would have a look at the match that took place on the 16th of September 1997, where seems to happen a lot of times, Russell, when we pick our games to do, it was raining. It was chucking it down. <laughs> we seem to pick games where the weather is utterly terrible and it was under the floodlights. What I really found strange about this, this was the first round of the UEFA Cup in September. Now, that's, that seems like a bygone age, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're starting earlier and earlier. You know, I mean, I, I was watching Sky Sports News earlier and they were talking about I think it was Townsend signed for for Everett, and they say, "Oh, Everett's got a bit of early summer business done." And us Celtic fans are sitting panicking at this stage of the summer that we've not, you know, we've only signed one player so far straight in the first team. So it just goes to show you the summers are definitely drawing in in, in uh, Celtic's football, uh, you know, world. So it's it's definitely uh, does seem a long, long time ago that you were playing your first European match in September when. We're giving up to tonight in the middle of July for our first uh, European game now, and uh, with you know all eyes on the big prize. I know, I know, and I, I, that was one thing that struck me when I saw that. Um, I was like, "What September? The 16th of September? And right. It's the UEFA Cup first round." Um, no, this is like an historical matchup: two heavyweight clubs of European football. But we're basically struggling by this point. By the mid-90s, we've struggled, and Liverpool have struggled, to adapt to what was modern football. Modern football, which was born in 1992, mm-hmm. uh, when, Sky, when Sky took it over and guys like Tim Lovejoy and that got into, got, got into football. Um, and we were... These clubs... Massive names. So this was, for me, this was rightly termed a Battle of Britain. We've had some Battle of Britons afterwards, like Celtic v Blackburn, for example. But for me, this is two heavyweight clubs going going toe-to-toe. What do you think, Russell? I couldn't agree more. I remember the hype before the game and I was young and it was, you know, what was that? I was just approaching my 10th birthday. Um, I remember all the hype about it before. I mean, we watched the highlights back. I mean, you think of 
those two clubs and you just instantly, you know, they are synonymous with British football or Celtics is synonymous with Scottish football, Liverpool synonymous with English football, whatever you prefer to describe it as. But these two clubs are undoubted clubs of huge pedigree, real fan bases, and perhaps at times not too not too far apart, I don't think, not too dissimilar. Um, when you think of both clubs and what they stand for to their communities and their cities. So, aye, two absolute giants going head to head. We were one that was, though, you know, Liverpool had been going for the league title, I think, the year before. Um, and then I think they did a sticky month in March or something like that and they'd blown it. But Celtic at this point was very much, uh, you know, what was it Jose Mourinho described Chelsea as when he first took them over like a little calf getting milk? That's mm-hmm. what we were at this stage of the season, you know, before we became elite. Um, obviously, we know what happened at the end of the season by stopping the 10. But at this stage, it's very much a dodgy start to the league campaign. And the, we're entering a wee bit of the unknown with him, Jansen here. We're not quite sure how it's, if we're going to pull this off um, come the end of the season. And this game, I think, was the first time that we've seen Celtic give you some insight into what the future lay ahead for the 97-98 the campaign and, you know, a performance full of optimism and positivity, you've got to say. Facebook user comes in, I'll just answer this question. If you're already subbed, do you still get entered into the draw for the Verve? Yes. Yes, a massive yes. Uh, you're right You're right there and this is... There's a UEFA report and Liverpool got 2,700 tickets for this game. And by the time we were going into the game, they still had 100 tickets unsold, which wow. I find utterly amazing uh, on for a night like this. What, what when you when I look back at this game, I was there that night, and you look at the match reports as we do when we when we start looking when we start preparing for the, for the show. Yeah. I think this is a first match where the famed Celtic European experience atmosphere was first mentioned. The rebuilt Celtic Park, and we still had the, the temporary stand down yep. at, the, uh, at the Celtic end, I'm going to call it the Celtic end, because I always will call it the Celtic end. Um, so you had like, the mentions of pre- there's, there's mentions of the pre-match atmosphere. As the game goes on, it says the Celtic crowd drove this team on. Because as you say, this was a, this is probably Wim Janssen's finest moment in the first couple of months. And it's yep. probably one of our greatest performances. It's probably one of our best performances that, that whole season that night. Mm-hmm. Um so do you disagree with that? Do you think this is the, do you think this game was the birth of the modern European atmosphere, which is so fabled and renowned over Europe? I think you've got a good point there as well, because when you contrast it with our other sort of European forays of the nineties, this game sticks out like a sore thumb, let's be honest. It it's does. the one where we've had a lot of disappointing results over the years against clubs not as glamorous or whatever. And yet, when we get on paper what looks like as hard a first-round UEFA Cup match you could possibly dream of getting, we actually completely step up to the plate and suddenly the mood changes, Kev, and suddenly you start thinking, bring on the big boys to Celtic Park because we can get them, that our, our team, to just go that extra 10% when we create that atmosphere. And that might be what we need against the big boys. And you're absolutely right. I think when we talk about 
Vim Janssen's, like, obviously his tenure there, this was a glimpse into what he was going to achieve that season with us. But as a, as a fan base, we got a glimpse of what was about to come, what was around the corner, really, in the next couple of years in terms of European nights at Celtic Park. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll, read, I'll read the team out to you. So the yeah. Celtic team that took the field that night was Jonathan Gould, Tom Boyd, Stefan Mahey, Jackie Mack, Alan Stubbs, a certain Mr. Larson, Craig Birdley, Reggie Blinker, who was replaced by Phil O'Donnell at half-time, Simon Donnelly, David Hanna, and Morton Weekhorst. Now, when you look back at some of the names on that Celtic team, there's not there, there's some guys who some people would rather forget played played for Celtic. David Hanna being one, he actually played somewhat deeper this night. I think he almost played in a back three at one point. He, he mm-hmm. was playing that deep. Um, again, you look at that team that you've got Gould, Boyd, and Mahe. Um, What's your thoughts when you see that team back written and uh, written down? I think, it's, I think it's a sign of where we were at that time as well. Like we've we've spoke about, there was more of a European sort of flavour in terms of nationalities in the squad beginning to become the norm. But there's a couple of guys signed straight from the EPL as well, like Blinker, Burley. Do you know what I mean? Gould, I think as well. And then you've got that mixed way. A couple of players like Simon Donnelly came to the youth setup. O'Donnell has been there a long time by then, albeit I know he was signed from Motherwell about 1991, 92. Um, then there's like other players signed from Scotland, from within Scotland, like V. Cost and Hannah. It's not the worst blend to be sort of basing on the face with what you would like a Celtic team to look like. A couple of players from the top league down south that perhaps are out of favour or whatever when we got them, but still come with decent pedigrees. Quite a few foreign internationals. Then you've got your more sort of homegrown players um, that have been signed from within the SPF. I don't think it's. I quite like the. I quite like the balance in the blend of, of the makeup of the team. And on the subs bench that night, obviously Phil O'Donnell comes on. You've got Gordon Marshall, Tosh McKinley, Malky Mackay, Andy Tom, Enrico Anone, and Stuart Gray. That's uh, that. that these, they ended up being the unused subs that night. Uh, the Liverpool team, David James in goal. Uh, Mark Wright still playing for them as no, well. Is it? Uh, Mark Wright still playing for Dominic Matteo, who went mm-hmm. on to get a couple of Scotland caps. You've got McManaman. You've got Paul Lince. Um, that, uh, that would have been after his... Uh, Inter Milan is, is yeah. the spell. He was Manu Inter Milan then, back to, then came back and joined Man United's rivals Liverpool. I think he might have only signed that summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol Riedler. I, I, oh, I, I, I always loved him. Uh, a 17-year-old Michael Owen who was just exploding onto the scene at that point. Yeah. And Thomas, so I'm presuming it's Michael Thomas. That's uh, the one thing I didn't know much about. Uh, Michael Thomas, who is for ever known, I could get my Thomases mixed up here, so somebody mm-hmm. in the comments can get me right here. I'm sure Michael Thomas scored the winning goal for Arsenal in 1989 at Anfield. I'm sure that is the same Michael Thomas. On the bench, you've got Patrick Berger, uh, Phil Babb, Kennedy, Jamie Carrig- Carragher, Danny Murphy and Jason McAteer. Who was the sub goalkeeper? Tony Warner. 
Tony Warner was yes. a sub goalkeeper who would play for Celtic for a couple of games in the, the following season under Joe Vengos, mm-hmm. including the including the famous 5-1 game. The 5-1 game, which was the last ever Celtic Rangers game played at three o'clock on a Saturday, if you didn't know that. The 5-1 game wasn't live on the TV. It was three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So, so because Celtic Park's still getting rebuilt, uh, there's 48,000 there, 48,526. And right away, Liverpool show they are the better side. Overall, they've got far better quality. And in the sixth minute, uh, McManaman plays in Carlos Elvidla, who who puts a great ball through to Michael Owen. And basically, our defence is all, all at sea. It's like a knife yeah. and butter. Owen's through on goal, and you, and Michael Owen does what Michael Owen does for the next five, six, seven years. He beats Jonathan Gold with a Camry chip across him, and they're one nothing down. And I remember the feeling in the stadium that night. It was like a balloon going down. It was deflated. We did not start this game well that night, Russell. No, no. I, I agree with you. But um, I thought the maturity of Owen's finish, see when you forget, you're, you're, you know, you're watching, the best compliment I could pay his finishing there is you completely for, I completely forgot until you said he was 17, that he was only 17 there, such is the nature of the finish. That's done with a real calm head. And you're absolutely right. I think the way the game started is Liverpool's took control early bells and we're a bit rattled because there's been a lot of hype about the game. There's an amazing atmosphere. I mean, it's not been going to plan. We've not dealt with that particularly well. Mm-hmm. Our defence at sea, you must be joking, Kev. Paula here comes in and says, our defence at sea, you must be joking, Kev. Uh, well, I, I sarcasm in that. Uh, our defence has been at sea probably ever since I've been watching Celtic, apart from, <laughs> apart from, especially in Europe, apart from maybe under a wee spell under Martin O'Neill and Gordon Stratton. Um Arch Duke comes in and tells us it is the same Michael Thomas that scored the last minute winner. Good knowledge. Nice one, For Arsenal, who created a fever pitch, because that's what the whole book Fever Pitch, where Nick Hornby is based on that winning goal. Um, we could have been out of out us. We could have been out of this. That uh, we could have been out this to. I've, I've brought up the wrong comment there. See, this is what you get when I'm trying to do two things at once. You're getting there, mate. Don't worry about it. You're doing good. We could have been out this tie in the first twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, Liverpool absolutely destroyed us in the first 20 minutes. And it was interesting reading the players' comments after the game. They admit that. They admitted that. But it wasn't until half an hour in the game that they decided to get a foothold into the game and started to play. And I remember at that night, I was glad to go in at halftime one nothing because we had mm-hmm. started to come back into the game. So just after half-time, 53 minutes... We Jackie plays a one-two with Craig Burley. There's a bit of a strum ash in the box. A ball breaks to Jackie and a left foot finish on the half volley in the top corner. It's a fantastic finish from a player who is not known for like for using his left foot. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic finish. I've got to say the one-two by Burley was absolutely awful. The pass from Burley, I mean, I don't know what he's trying to do there. He sort of dinked it in at waist height and the only the only way that 
that one two's actually worked is because the defence is as baffled as Jackie McNamara is when the ball comes spinning round the corner at waist height at him. But it's caused enough confusion for the to be a wee ricochet and the quickest thinker at that moment in time was Jackie and the execution's outstanding with the left peg. But I like the way, you know, you forget McNamara, it's easy when you think of players that were at Celtic for years. Like I think Scott Brown, when you mention his name right now, you think of his most recent couple of seasons, do you know what I mean? And then you'll see footage of him under Strack and skinning folk in that and you'll be like, it look, and see the way Jackie's just slathering up the right, zigzagging, ducking, diving. Oh, it was brilliant. And we had a fair bit of pace about him too. I mean, if you think at that age, Jackie might have been, what, 23, 24? Mm-hmm. And a completely different player from the one you then associated with him under Martin O'Neill, for example, where he had his renaissance there. So, I brilliant finish. I can't, I can't, I can't really remember tactics uh, or anything like that. I don't really pick up on things like that. But I'm sure Jackie was playing on the right hand side of midfield that night. I'm sure he wasn't playing. Um, no, he wasn't playing wing back. He was actually in. He was actually in the midfield. Um, I'm sure that is the case. Tom Lloyd was talking As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Did he? The commentator says the one mm-hmm. back, did he? Mm, interesting. I'm, I'm sure he was... Right I'm, I'm trusting you, Kev. I'm sure he was... I can't trust me over Motty, man. Motty's a legend. I, I, I wanted um, to bring that up, though. How good was his commentary? See, when you heard it, it was brilliant. brilliant. His brilliant. commentary, something else. Really, really good. I enjoyed that. It's good when you hear these old comedies back and you get guys like uh, Archie, Arthur Montfort, and especially the big English guys that you'll never hear on, Barry Davis, guys like that, you'll never hear on internationals or when you drew an English team in Europe or FA Cup final day. That was the only time you heard these commentators doing yeah. their full gig. Obviously, you would have the match of the day, uh, gagging all of that eh? but it's good to hear these commentators and when you hear some of the commentators just now that, that the Euros of the last couple of weeks there's some of them absolutely rank rotten who shouldn't actually be anywhere near a microphone and comment and, and commentating on any sort of football whatsoever uh, funnily enough one of the worst guys who, who was a co-commentator in the Euros is on the bench for Liverpool that night Danny Murphy <laughs> Danny oh. the, Danny Murphy was absolutely horrendous in the Euros there, being a full commentator. He is terrible. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Him and Lee Dixon did not cover themselves in glory. It was almost as if, like, Danny Murphy had morphed into Matt Lawrenson (laughs) and and hated everything about football whatsoever. (laughs) He detested the game. Just didn't like it. I mean, for me... His lack of knowledge was showed up when he says that he thought people will be now seeing that Domaruma could be quite a good goalkeeper. <laughs> the guy <laughs> has the guy has been playing for AC Milan since he's been 16. He's just moved to PSG. And Danny Murphy and his wisdom has now went, well, people will see that he might be a good goalkeeper. Well, that's not even nonsense, and it's that's a lack of knowledge. Definitely. D- definitely. We get the equaliser. We are the better team. 
I think the equaliser comes with a panic in the Liverpool defence because they know we've got a foothold in the game and yep. there's and there's forty five thousand mad Tims shouting this team on to actually get back in the game. Let's get a result. We are the better side, but it took us to the seventy fourth minute when Morton Weekhorst plays a great ball to Henrik Larson. Larson gets there before David James, and James just basically wipes him out. Um, and it's a stonewall penalty kick. Well, I can't remember, but you're going back to the commentary. But the comment, the commentators were going on about another penalty kick claim beforehand, and they kept on going on about it. And I'm going, I can't remember another penalty kick claim. But there's no arguments about this one. This is a stonewall penalty. Absolutely. And you know something as well, see the ball through. Don't get me wrong, Hendrick's timing is impeccable and all that, but you expect that from, from the King of Kings. But Vicos, I was thinking about you, I was looking at the subs bench. See what it's mental. Andy Tom, we've raved about on Scream of Selica. How many times, Kev? Do you know what I mean? As to what level of footballer he, he was and what a coup he was to be getting to be getting him um, into Celtic. He'd only been there a couple of years by this point. And mm-hmm. it's like the Vicos that's not keeping him at the team. You know, it's amazing to think, you know, guys signed for Dundee, everyone was, Vim was obviously very much, didn't, was he bothered about reputations, he just wanted the best players in the team on the on the, on the night and, you know, on, on match day, whatever the match was. And I just, I loved seeing that V-course pass. I, I probably was a wee bit ignorant to him having that in his locker, but it's a brilliant ball through. Uh, Henrik's runs too good and David James, well, Calamity James, whatever you want to call him. Um, you knew you, Henrik knew he was going to trip him. Obviously, Weekhorst got the illness uh, soon after that. I can't actually remember the, the actual time scale, but it was soon after that. But I, I reckon Big Weekhorst was a classy player. He, mm-hmm. he had a good range of passing, he had a good range of energy. Um, and you, you, you mock, well, you didn't mock, but people would mock that you signed this guy from Dundee. But it wasn't just the fact he was six foot blonde and Danish that he stood out in that Dundee side. He stood out in that Dundee side because he was the best player in their squad by the, by the length of Dens Park Road. He scored a lot of goals, didn't he? He did, he did. And I was extremely happy when Celtic signed Morton Meekhurst mm-hmm. because I knew that he could do a job. I knew he had the, the football tools to fit into how I want Celtic to play. And he also had the tools to fit into a Wim Janssen Celtic as well, because mm-hmm. a Wim Janssen Celtic was more functional than the the rip-roaring, free-scoring Tommy Burns Celtic, which, mm-hmm. which had just replaced. <laughs> and Wim Janssen will admit that himself, and anybody that watched Wim Janssen Celtic will actually say they were a functional side who knew their job and got results. But they weren't, they weren't like... Like we had we had four years of Tommy Burns, who was yeah. throwing everything into attack, and Janssen came in there and tightened up the whole ship and won, done done his job, won as a league. Uh, at one point, when you get to the January that year, I mean, we're still we're, we actually we're still on the point of we could have won a treble that year. We get to the semi final mm-hmm. against uh, we got beat off Rangers at Celtic Park in the semi final, um, and. We could have won a treble that year because we'd already won the League Cup. Uh, we won the league. And I remember there was a game, Boxing Day, I think it was Boxing Day, Aberdeen. And we won one nothing. Uh, 
Craig Burley scored a penalty kick. And I remember coming back down on the supporters bus on the way, way down the road singing, we were going to win the lot. We were going to win the lot. We we were actually, they could, could have scraped us off the, the, the minibus ceiling on the way back down. And we actually believed that we were going to win everything that year. That no, was Ah uh, well, maybe that was maybe maybe, maybe that was just a uh, buckfast bravado or whatever it was at the time we were uh, whatever it was uh, coming back down the road. But we really did believe that we were actually going to win the lot, and that was some change from the start of the season getting beat off Dunfermline. And as you say, this match is a catalyst. This yep, match is a catalyst for us to go on for what we achieved that season. The penalty kick being Henrik Larson's on the park and number 14, Simon Donnelly, steps up to take it. What was your, what, if, what was your thoughts on that? What, what well, were you thinking? I remember that it was Simon Donnelly that took it, right? And I was like, I'd forgotten. If you told me how did we win that penalty, I wouldn't have remembered that. So, of course, with it being won by Henrik, as well, you're like, oh, Yeah! That is mad that you know Simon Donnelly took that, and it's one of those ones, right? I watched the I watched the, the highlights twice today, and both times you're watching, it, you think the ball could go over the bar still, even though you know it doesn't. But you definitely go, that could go, yeah, that could go over. But to flip it, you've got to give Donnelly's due. It is very deliberate. He has went top bins against Liverpool mm-hmm. when it's a, the game's on a knife edge. That takes bottle. And Simon Donald at that point, again, like McNamara, would have been 22, 23 years old. It would have been, yes. So I just think that's, uh, I think that, that was class that he had the, you know, the bottle to do that in such a manner. The reason you put, you know, the reason players put penalties and aim for the top corners because keep, no keeper saving them if you put it there. But it's high risk, high reward when you're going for top bins. Because firstly, if you miss, there's a good chance you've missed the target and therefore there's no rebound opportunity or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? But if it if it is on target, it's a certain goal. Would I have the bottle to do that? I'm not sure. Archduke 8199 says, Morton was a very elegant footballer. It was that. And Jed Sweeney says, Morton was a goal of a player. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. Brilliant. What you've got to remember, you're saying gone top bin. David James is a unit. David oh, James yeah. is some size. David James is a is an American fridge standing in nagels, waving waving his hands like a like a big windmill. So Donnelly's probably known that he's going to move, and he's and he knows that he says if he goes the right way, I've got to get height on this to actually get it by him. And what I loved. About Simon, the fact that he's got the number 14 on when obviously squad numbers are coming into play, he's got the number 14 on. And see that night, Simon Donnelly was the best player on the park for Celtic by a country mile. Mm-hmm. And and for me, without reading into it or anything like that, I reckon he took that penalty kick because he was that confident of his performance up to the 73rd minute. He says, mm-hmm. I'm scoring this. Everything I'm doing tonight is coming off for me. So I'm taking this penalty kick and I'm going to score this penalty kick. Uh, but as you say, I was there. I was sitting up the other end that night. And even before I rewatched it today, I 
I can, I can say it hits the underside of the bar and goes in. I can remember it vividly. And as you see, you still expect it to miss. You still expect it to hit that underside of the bar and spin back out. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting what you say. We were well on top at that time. And we go 2-1 up and strangely enough tonight, and there's probably something that we'll speak about on the on the pre-match, away goals didn't now count. So I know. The, the, the Celtic team that night, Donnelly celebrates. Nobody else celebrates with him. Somebody goes and grabs the ball and they go back to the halfway line, knowing that they probably need another goal because of, of the away yeah, goals. goals and there's also a bit of confidence in that. And, and the, the commentators mention that as well. They go, this Celtic team expected to score a second and now they look like they're up for scoring a third because they're that on top. They could smell, they could smell blood. Um, that's, and this is where I'm going back to. This was the birth of us taking, the seeds were sown that night of us taking major scalps at Celtic Park and the crowd being that ultimate 12th man. I couldn't agree more with that synopsis, Kevin. I think that's exactly what it was. It was a wee bit of insight. As I say, I think it was insight for what Wim's team was going to produce for that season going forward. And uh, I think it was definitely an insight as to what Celtic Park once completed as well was, you know, what a fortress it was that it was about to become uh, once again in, in Europe as well. I just think the Donnelly penalty, you're spot on. It's a confidence thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we've obviously just came out like the Euros, for example, and stuff. And yeah, I've got an uncanny record. I'm not joking of picking who'll score and who'll miss. I know that's, you know, I'm sure a million people could say that, but I don't know why. I think you can read the body language and the confidence and all that, and you can tell, and you're absolutely right, the way Donnelly's taking that penalty scoring, but that reaction of grabbing the ball at the net and taking it and carrying it back to centre circle. Whilst Donnelly, by the way, you're saying he's away celebrating, he's standing with his arms just nodding his head, all gallus. <laughs> so before you know it, if you're looking about, Liverpool's seeing a team in a rush now to get the ball back and play because they think they're going to score again. You've got the wee guy who's having, as you say, the game of his life with his hands aloft, swaggering away, just walking to the fans. And you've got, uh, you know, a... Uh, Crazy volume now coming from 50,000 fans that is extremely vocal, volatile, in the zone. Everything's in the zone. And it's just, it's at that point, I think that game could have, it could have went another way, you know. It could have, that could have turned into a really, like a famous result, do you know what I mean? As opposed to it being a near miss. It could have, it could have done, and that probably brings us, that probably brings us back to the equaliser. And when you look at the, when you look at the equaliser, Liverpool start this in the ninetieth minute of the game, playing the ball around around their back, across the back line. They are happy with two one. They make no attempt to hoof this ball up the park, and they're just playing the ball. Inside their own eighteen-yard box, and Celtic are not, and Celtic are not pushing. Celtic are not doing the high press, and no. they roll the ball out to McManaman, and he must be about say 25, 30 yards from his goal, and he basically runs the length of the field unchallenged to 
the edge of the 18-yard box and curls in a fantastic goal. Now, when you read the, the, the press cl- clippings and all that, it's, it's one of the greatest goals ever ever scored at Celtic Park by an opposition player. It wasn't challenged. There was no. not there was not one challenge. There was not one challenge, meaningful challenge. Now, I know I saw on Twitter today that somebody says, Are we going to have a 15 minute rant about Morton Recost not challenging uh, McManaman? When McManaman when McManaman puts the ball around one side and goes round the other. I'm going to give Big Morton a free pass here. He was nowhere near McManaman to actually put in any sort of challenge whatsoever. McManaman is by him before there's even any reaction mm-hmm. with that. If you were going to blame anybody, you've got Stefan Maye who comes out half-heartedly and then decides to back off again. And you've got David Hanna, who's the only Celtic player to get within five yards of McManaman, who doesn't actually pull him down. And for people, for me, to actually blame Weekhorst, when you look at the goal again, Weekhorst hasn't got the opportunity to bring him down at any point. Matt, but when I watched it back, because I knew I'd seen that tweet as well, and I did chuckle, I'm not going to lie. Um, when I watched it back, it was... I thought it was Alan Stubbs that was kind of over it as well at the edge of the box and he sort of sticks a leg you know like and you think you contrast and compare that with what we're about to get in these sort of European nights when you will be coming up against players of the Ilka McManaman who goes on to win the Champions League and all that and what we then seen three, four years later was Joshua Harren Johan Mialbe Valde launching themselves at the he's not sticking at legs going side on and so he, he didn't even want to let them get the shot. The amount of times you used to see, even not just one of them, but a couple of them at the same time, big, huge units, spreading their legs and sliding out as fast as they could to try and, and get close the angle as much as they could. And they would have took the ball in the chin. We looked very tentative. We did. We, we, we looked knackered. And yeah. Stubbs should have, as you quite rightly say, Stubbs should have attacked the ball. It should, as, soon as, as soon as McManaman gets to that 25, 23, 22, 21 yards, Stubbs should be gone. It's a waste of time me backing off any longer. I've got to go out and stop yep. this player. My, when he goes half-heartedly out, then backs off gives McManaman that push to keep on going. If Maya goes out and like the madman he was, horses him into orbit like some wannabe Elon Musk, then, then it's all good. Maya gets the book and, and we carry on. If Hannah brings him down with a rugby tackle when he's at 25 yards from goal, yes, they might have scored from the free kick, but you're not allowing him a free shot in the 90th minute of, of a cup tie. Exactly. And, when I saw that comment today about Beekhorst, I'm going, I don't think Beekhorst is the one to blame here. I mean, it's just the first player to see him, I think, so that, 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 that you remember, you associate with him sort of going by. His first touch as well in that movement, man. I mean, as you say, deep in his own half, but the way he takes it round uh, the Celtic player, I can't remember who it is now, but it's just outstanding. Uh, as Beekhorst, he takes it round. That is class. That is class. And... It is a fantastic goal. I remember, again, at yeah. the time, being completely gutted that it went in. Uh, but when you look at it, uh, it's one of the, it is a good goal, but it's not an absolutely... The distance that he's travelled is... Shouldn't be allowed. 
should they be allowed? But it's impressive that the distance that he travelled, at the speed that he travelled with the ball under control. That's why Barcelona, a couple of weeks before, had, had bid £12 million for him. That's how yeah. he ends up That's how he ends up going to Real Madrid, because he had that in his locker. But there is opportunities for the Celtic players to have the old Italian gamemanship and just take them out of the game. Take what the free kick, take the, take the booking. What did I say at the start? I mean, I just think that's when Jansen's little little cow or whatever it was, the Mourinho expression was, and there's still a wee bit of naivety there, eh? Definitely there was. Again, it could have been effort, it could have been fitness which stopped, which kept the players backing off and backing off. But I'm sure when they got back into the dressing room, there probably was an inquest of why did, oh. we, not stop, why did we not stop them? It was a fantastic night. It was one of these when you look at the papers the following day, the Battle of Britain tag and Celtic do Scotland Scotland proud and they stood up against their more richer foes. And you do like a good Battle of Britain, don't you? You do like oh, a good... You, you do like oh, a good I loved a couple of years ago when Man City came and everybody yeah. expected Man City to trouse us and it was free each and again that was another night where where there was a phenomenal atmosphere and you do look forward to these European nights and Celtic for me Celtic Park was born that night the European Celtic Park was born that night and it was just unfortunate we couldn't actually get the result in the second leg which ended up nothing each uh, and Simon Donnell actually missed a great one-on-one -on -one chance mm -hmm. in, uh, uh, in the second leg <laughs> on that point I'll bring up Frank Brennan who doesn't really like us talking up Simon Donnelly Frank Brennan says Simon Donnelly was only one of the worst strikers it was my complete misfortune to see in a Celtic jersey the only other person who was worse than him was the even more pathetic Wayne Biggins wow. I, I think right. Frank is on the uh, the wrong peace pipe there. Um, Simon Donnelly was a decent, great player and in no way should be ever quoted in the same paragraph, sentence, statement as Wayne Biggins, eh? Frank's nervous about the game tonight, mate. I'm telling you, that's just a wee bit of pre-match nerves coming out and he's he's taken it out on poor Sid. But no, I mean, I, I disagree with that, Frank. I think that's a wee bit... I think that's pretty harsh when you consider Wayne Biggins, Rasmussen... He was better than the likes of them, eh? He was, definitely. I, 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 what you've got to remember is he used the the Bosman ruling well and um, he went to Sheffield Wednesday. Wednesday. No, I'm just having a look at the clock, eh? Is that... Oh, that's ten past seven, eh? <laughs> oh, I haven't even started talking about Urban Hums yet. Um, <laughs> right. I actually got mixed up there. I thought we started at quarter past six. So I was having a look at the clock thinking it was seven o'clock. <laughs> uh, I, I don't say anything. I just sat going, he's done it again. This is oh, great. Right, right. What we'll do, Russell, is we'll reconvene this Urban Hums uh, right. talk at one point. But we'll do another game with Urban Hums. But I hope that everybody's looking forward to the game tonight. Uh, we'll be we'll be back in about five minutes to actually discuss the game and the pre-match build-up. Um, subscribe, please, so you can win a fan.
fantastic prize to do with the verves up on hands. And me and Russell will be back at Steamer Selica next week, where we will definitely talk about the verves urban hands. Um, so all it's for me and Boise to say is see you later and uh, come on the cells. Thanks for everybody for listening. Thank you, Blacks. Cheers, my man. What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.